0: Well, good morning. Okay, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 15. We are going to be in verses 1 through 17. John 15, 1 through 17. As you're turning there, I'll uh, introduce myself. My name is Jamin Roller, and I am uh, one of our lead pastors here at Citizens Church. And so we have been a campus of uh, the Village Church, the Village Church Plano, and we are uh, fastly becoming uh, Citizens Church. And so you've caught us at uh, somewhat of a unique uh, time in that. And, and so if that is all news to you, if that is all uh, really confusing to you, there's a story behind that that we would love to share with you. And so just ask around uh, or even come find me after services. I'll be down front and I'd love to, to, to share that with you. Uh, John 15, 1 through 17. This is the last day of Jesus's life before he's crucified. We started looking at uh, this day of his life three weeks ago in John 13. Jesus washes his disciples' feet. He has dinner with them. The sun had gone down already when they're doing that. Before the sun goes down again, Jesus would be in a tomb. And so this is his last day of life before he comes back to life. Uh, And what he does is he spends the majority of that day when he's not being arrested, and he's not being beaten, and he's not being tried, he spends that time preparing his disciples to live in the world without him. He is training them to continue what he started. And so uh, what we had said three weeks ago is, is a couple of things. One, just to be reminded, and, and for some it might be news, but for, for most it's probably a reminder that the story of the Bible is not earth to heaven, The story of the Bible is not us going to heaven one day. The movement of God through his story is the opposite. It's heaven to earth. Jesus prays, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so what that means, Jesus looks at his disciples and looks at us and says, you're my plan, like you are. on the little slice of earth that God has entrusted to us, we are God's plan, that the love of God comes to us, is received by us, and then flows through us to those around us, and as it does that, around us begins to look more like heaven as we await the day when Jesus comes back and finishes all that he started. So we are continuing in that last day of Jesus' life. John 15, one through 17, I, I cannot, I don't have the time to walk through all that John has done, but essentially what he does is he puts it right in the middle of Jesus' talk with his disciples and the, the contents of what we're about to read are the hinge upon which everything else that he says swings, it's not more important than everything else, but without this, none of it works. Verse 1 I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. that someone lay down his life for his friends and you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants for the servant does not know what the master is doing but I've called you friends for all that I have heard from my father I've made known to you. You did not choose me but I chose you. And appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Like if you'd imagine with me, one of these disciples is taking notes of all that Jesus is saying and maybe he's talking pretty fast and so they're just kind of trying to capture words that he says over and over. And let's just say John's doing that. And if John's doing that in this moment, what is a word that he wrote down? Often, fruit, or the phrase bear fruit. If you were to ask one of these guys after this portion of the conversation, hey, what did you hear? Like summarize what he said. Here's what they would say. It is really important to Jesus that I live a life that bears fruit. And and that's what he's doing. Like in these fleeting moments that he has left with his friends, one of them's already left. And so he's got these fleeting moments left with them. And what he says right here, he looks at him and he says, you know what all this has been about, guys? like my miracles and my teaching and and my uh, soon coming death and resurrection. So much of that has been about this. It's been about you being changed. It's been about you, and that's the metaphor he uses. When we say fruit, we mean growth, we mean change. And he looks at me and says, that's what all of this has been about, that you are not going to be who you were when I enter into your life. And as you remain in me, you will be transformed. In fact, he commands it, commands them to bear fruit. So, you know, in Christianity that's not uh, rare, right? Every single belief system has some sort of promise of personal growth, some sort of promise of like uh, personal transformation. Even those belief systems that don't call themselves belief systems promise that you'll change, right? You'll become a better you or something like that. The the self-help section of the bookstore is alive and well. And so as we say that, as we talk about growth, as we talk about being transformed, it's really important that we agree with Jesus about what that looks like, or we'll just fill it in based on everything else that we hear and all the other influences that we are subject to. When he says bear fruit, what he means is he means you look like me. That's what he says, that's what he spells out. Obey the way that I've obeyed. Love the way that I have loved. And so let me say it this way. Jesus came to impart his beautiful life to you the way that Paul summarizes it and the way that, uh, that we've gone back to over and again in Romans 8, he says, here's the gamut of God's work in your life. Uh, predestined, foreknown, predestined, called, justified, sanctified. You will be glorified. And then right in the middle of all of it, he gives us the why. And the why is this, so that you may conform into the image of his son, the fruit of that is expected of his disciples, that's expected of us, is that we look like Jesus. Paul gives us a list of the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, and all the other ones that are included in the song. Uh, and in that, you could describe all of it with a name. It's, it's Jesus. He captures all of that. And so that's what he's putting before his disciples, that you are to look like me. And wh- what we're gonna see is that he gives us the how, and it's this, that we bear fruit as... Who I am to God becomes who I am in practice as I live life with Jesus. Who I am to God becomes who I am in practice as I live life with Jesus. So there's two threads there that Jesus weaves throughout these 17 verses. One of them is who you are to God. That's our position before God. It's what God has done for you in Jesus. And then the other is your practice, how who you are flushes out and flushes out in your daily life. And, and the, the, the thing that ties both of those threads together is Jesus They're united together in Jesus. How am I who I am to God? Because I'm connected to Jesus. How do I live out in practice what God has declared me to be? Because I'm connected to Jesus. So that's the outline. That's where he goes. We will spend this week in that first thread, seeing what Jesus says about who we are to God. And then next week, we'll look at the second. Read with me verse one again, and we'll jump down to verse five. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. In verse 5, he says it this way I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So he says this, he introduces this metaphor I'm a vine, you're the branch. Let me put the meaning of that in really familiar terms for us. He's saying this, right relationship with God is not about what you've done, but about what Jesus has done for you. That should sound familiar if you've been a Christian for any length of time, or if you've just been a nominal churchgoer for any length of time. You have probably heard that idea repeated in this kind of setting. And it gets repeated in this kind of setting because God has placed that truth about life all over his word. It is replete in Scripture that we come over and again to this idea, okay, I'm right with God, not because of what I've done, but because of what Jesus has done on my behalf. And that's what we see here again. And it's presented to us from Jesus as this vineyard metaphor. So here's what I mean. End of 14 tells us that they leave the room that they were in. There's this upper room where they had Dinner, and they uh, begin this conversation with Jesus. They leave that, and they're going to the garden, one of their favorite places to be together. And in between Jerusalem and the garden, you have to walk through all of these vineyards. And so they're walking through these vineyards, and Jesus stops, and he has them look around. And as the great storyteller that Jesus is, look around you, look back at me. I'm the vine, and you're the branches. Now. That would have been a shift from what these guys grew up hearing. As Jews, as the people of God, they grew up hearing you are the vine and you're doing a really bad job being the vine. The Old Testament uses that vine metaphor to describe the people of God 11 times. Every single time it's used in connection to God's judgment on his people. Let me show you in Isaiah chapter five, verses one through seven. Isaiah is gonna sing this song about a vineyard. Let me sing for my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and he hoed out a wine vat in it and he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem, men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there for me to do for my vineyard that I've not done for it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it will be devoured. I will break down its wall. It shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed. Briars and thorns shall grow up. I will command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. And then here's the point. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. The men of Judah are his pleasant planting and he looked for justice but behold bloodshed for righteousness but behold an outcry Isaiah sings a song it's not a happy song it's a sad song and it tells the story of God's relationship to his people throughout the Old Testament, that he's a gardener and he makes this vineyard and he does everything that he needs to do to prepare and protect. And he places a vineyard there and what comes out of it is the kind of fruit he did not create it to produce. And that's God as the gardener and the people that he rescued out of Egypt. And he gives them all that they need, all that they need to live, all that they need to be who he is called them and created them and protected them to be in the world. And instead of being a people that produced peace and righteousness and fidelity, rotten fruit came out of their lives. Wild grapes. Instead of justice, it was bloodshed. Instead of loyalty to God, it was idolatry and worship of all the other gods. Instead of being a light to the nations, they were like all the other nations. And that's the story the disciples grew up hearing, that's the truth that they, that they were living in at the moment. And so when Jesus, what he says is astounding, my friends. He says, look around, see the vineyard, see the vines, see the branches. And he orients that metaphor, that was a metaphor of judgment. He orients it around himself and it's now a metaphor of salvation. When he says, I am the vine, here's what he means. I have stood where Israel has stood, and every time they failed, in every scenario where they were faithless, I was faithful. They were tested in the wilderness, and they failed. I was tested in the wilderness, and I succeeded. They were given the law, and they could not keep it. Jesus not only keeps the law, but he embodies the heart of God behind the law. And so He does not shed blood. For the sake of justice, he allows his blood to be shed. He worships God and God alone. He's a light to the nations. He's a light to the world. He is, hear me, the vineyard of the beloved and the fruit that comes out of his life is not wild, it's not rotten, it's rich and it pleases the father. And how do you think the father feels about Jesus as his vineyard? He's pleased with him. He's been obedient, he delights in him. And so Jesus says this, I'm the vine, you're the branches. The weight of living a life that is fully pleasing to God has been lifted off of you and it's been carried by Jesus. Jesus lives that God-honoring, God-pleasing, law-satisfying life And then he welcomes us into the benefits of the life he lived. Friend, the the life of Jesus, like his life in our place is just as essential to our salvation as his death in our place. Listen, he both dies the death that we deserve to die and then he credits to us the benefits of the life that he lived that we could never hope to live. And that's what he means. I'm the vine, you're not. You don't have to, that expectation is no longer crushing you. I've lifted it, and here's what you are. You're a branch connected to the vine. And if you're part of the vineyard that God is pleased with, it means that God is pleased with you. And it's like, think about who he's saying this to. Do these guys, he's gonna say in verse three, you are clean because of the word that I've preached to you. Are they When you think of these guys, I look at them and it's like, okay, they've still got a long way to go. They've still got a lot of wild fruit coming out of their life. And yet Jesus is able to look to them, to a group of guys who have a long way to go and to a group of people in Plano, Texas who have a long way to go. And he's able to say, no, 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 you're the branch. You're connected to the vine. And what that means is that means that you are seen by God the same way God sees his Son, you didn't earn any of it. You get to enjoy all of it. You get to enjoy all of it. Look, let me make this point. Jesus is giving them a sermon on looking like him and on bearing fruit in their life. And there's two threads to that sermon. Who you are to God and what you do in practice. How who you are flows out of your life. Those are the two. Which one does Jesus start with? who you are to God, there's position, and then there's practice. And what has Jesus just told us is the beginning of the relationship, position, who we are to him. Like you get welcomed in on what Jesus has done, and you are brought in on that, and you get to enjoy and know with confidence that the Father is pleased with you, how he feels about Jesus. That's how he feels about you. That's what he sees when he looks at you. Position comes before practice. And look, look right at me. If you want to live an exhausting, doubt-filled, anxiety-ridden life, get those mixed up. If you want Exhaustion and fear and doubt to be the thing that stays in between you and God. Live your life as if your practice determines your position. And then, if I live like that, what happens is is that I scrutinize every good thing I do. Because if my relationship with God, if my position with God is what's on the line, then I never trust anything that I do. I'm always harder on myself than I should be because what it means is even if I do the right thing, I know I did it from the wrong motive or I can never be honest with those around me about what I'm hiding in my life because if my position with God is what's on the line, then there is no freedom to be as broken as I actually am. Or maybe for you, the last 45 minutes of being here in a building like this, doing church together has been hijacked by that fear. And it goes like this. I look around and I feel like I have to earn my right to be here among the Christians. And as I am observing everyone else, gosh, everyone else means the words that they're singing more than I do. Most of these people know the Bible better than I do. I am sure that almost everyone else is coming in having lived a cleaner week than I just lived. And look, maybe all that's true. That is only crippling to you if your practice precedes your position. That is only crippling if who you are to God is determined by what you do and not what Jesus has done. And yet we almost can't help it. I I know the faces in the room. I know you've heard that a 100 times, so many of you. How hard is it to actually live out? How often do you need the reminder and it's because everywhere else in life we're conditioned to believe that it works the opposite if you've got position at your job you did something to get there if you've got title if you've got clout you earned you climbed something you put all of your efforts out and that's how you got where you are if you're married you had to work for that, right? When you first started dating her, you did not act around her the way that you acted around your buddies. You cleaned that up a bit, and then all the cracks started showing later after it was too late, right? And then if you are in college right now, they don't just hand out degrees. If you're in school, you have to work for that. And so what, because we're, what we are pre-wired to approach God with that kind of economy and say, look, whatever position I don't have, I've got to work to get. And whatever position I do have, I have to work to keep, and Jesus just flipped that script. Jesus just said, no, 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 the opposite is true. I'm the vine, you're the branches. You get this love, and this acceptance, and this identity that is gifted, and it is not earned, in the love of God that covers a multitude of failures sent Jesus to stand where we've all fallen, We would not have done any better than Israel at keeping God's promises and staying faithful to him. So Jesus stands where we have all fallen and we are invited into relationship with God based on what a perfect Jesus has done. That's who we are to God. And think about if the conversation is about change and bearing fruit, that is the only relational context where change is safe. When change is demanded before love is extended, every amount of change is just infused with fear and insecurity. But when love is extended first, if the love precedes the demand of change, then I am free to fail in the change, I am free to struggle in the change, and I am free for that pace of change to be a lot slower than maybe it should be. That's why Jesus starts there. And he's gonna say this, the God who loves you, the God who is pleased with you, he is going to play an active role in producing fruit in your life. Look at me at verse two. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may be more fruitful. Hear this again. The branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may be more fruitful. There's two things God does here. He cuts off and he cuts back He cuts off the branches that don't produce fruit because those are the branches that never really belonged to Jesus. And that's the point. It sounds like we just made a really dramatic tone change. Like it's all about Jesus. We all get in on Jesus. There's just so much love because of Jesus. And if you don't bear fruit, then you get cut off. It's like we're saying, it could be easy to to listen to that and say, okay, I get in because of Jesus, but I stay in because of me. What Jesus is gonna say in verse six is, the ones that never abided in me to begin with are the ones that get cut off, right? Uh, my kids came the other day carrying, they, about a, a month ago, they came in the house carrying this branch uh, and it had fallen off of a tree and it had leaves on it and it had an acorn on on the end of it. And in their mind, they thought, if I plant that branch in the ground, then the acorn at the end of it will turn into a a tree, right? They're awesome at science. And so they uh, they're like, dad, if we put this branch in the ground, is it going to turn into a tree? And I was like, I knew the answer is no, but I also knew I was preaching John 15 in a few weeks. So I'm like, this is gonna be perfect for me to talk about. And so I was like, hey, why don't you just, just try it and see what happens? And so they put this branch in the ground, put some dirt around it, and they made sure there was sun and they made sure to water it. And, and what happened? Like in two days, everything on it had died and it was just a stick in the dirt. And we know why. There's no root system, right? It's not connected to any sort of life. You, you, you get the idea. This is the spiritual point Jesus is making here, that uh, it is not once you are connected to Jesus, if you don't bear fruit, you're cut off. Jesus is just leaning on the metaphor to make this point. If you truly belong to him, you cannot help but bear fruit. If you don't bear fruit, you never belong to him. John, in one of his letters, says it this way, they that left us were never of us. And so hear me, there is is a healthy weight that we should feel in that. The Bible over and again is gonna invite us to consider what's coming out of our lives, it is. It's going over and again to invite us in community to examine what fruit is coming out of my life. And and hear me, if the older you get, the more bitter you grow. If the older you get, the more angry you grow. If uh, the older you get, you're not uh, growing in fighting sin. You are falling deeper and deeper into habitual sin. If there's no love for others in your life, if there's no generosity, if there's no mercy, if there's nothing coming out of your life that has any semblance of Jesus, you should consider, hear me, you should consider if you're a Christian. Now, when you have that conversation, don't have that conversation by yourself. If you just have that conversation with yourself, then you are either going to be too hard on yourself or you're going to lie to yourself and remain self-deceived. When you have that conversation in community, you invite voices that are gonna see you more clearly. But if, if, if you can't look and say there is a gradual, and I do mean gradual, turning into Christ-likeness, then you at least need to pause and consider. That's the healthy weight we should feel. There is also a unhealthy fear that I want to protect us from. The, listen, as a pastor, the biggest problem with saying what I just did, the biggest problem with saying something like, you might need to consider that you're not a Christian is that so often the ones who need to hear it, ignore it, or are angered by it, and the ones who don't need to hear it are paralyzed by it like you immediately start going into this assurance of salvation tailspin. Let me tell you something, let me share something with you. The worry, if that's present, the worry actually says something about your love. Look, people who don't care about Jesus don't worry in a moment like this whether they're actually connected to him. They don't worry whether they actually are loved by him. Like think about it this way, what other relationships do you worry about in your life? Which ones do you worry most about in your life? The ones you really care about, where you worry if, if, if there's rightness between you, it's with you and your spouse, it's with you and your friends, it's with you and your uh, kids, it's with you and your loved ones, it's with the people that you really love. You probably don't spend a lot of time staying up at night wondering if things are okay with you and the mailman or wondering if things are okay with you and other strangers in your life or, or other acquaintances in your life. That worry centers around the ones that actually matter most to you. And pay attention to that. Like, I am not saying that the worry is good. I think there's probably some work to do, but I am saying, would you at least be encouraged by what the worry affirms? If I read that, the branches that don't bear fruit are cut off, and you're like, ah, I'm all right. I don't, it just doesn't really matter to me a whole lot. That's where it's, the conversation might, you just don't need to pause and have the conversation. But if I read that, and you think something in you is like, oh, I don't, I don't want to be removed. I want to be close. The, the love that I've experienced, the love I have for Jesus, and if that's the knee jerk, that means that you care about Jesus. And the only people who care about being with Jesus are the ones who already are. The ones who already are. Look, in some ways, the worry itself is the argument against what we're worried about. So for some, God uh, cuts off. And then where I wanna spend the rest of our time before we pick it back up next Sunday is in the latter half of verse two. The ones that do bear fruit, he prunes. That word literally means he cuts back. Those who belong to God, those who not only belong to God, but they belong to God and they're fruitful, he cuts those branches back. (laughs) Look, what there's so much of the impulse that believes listen, I thought to be right with God means that everything would go right for me. And we might not say that out loud because we've been taught better than that, perhaps. But in the disappointment, in the tragedy, in the suffering, that is for sure what wells up from somewhere. And it comes out in our prayers or at least our thoughts God, what did I do wrong? What did I do? God, <laughs> What did I do to deserve this? God, I thought you loved me. God, I have done so much for you. And in honesty, all of that assumes that God being pleased with me and me being right with him means that nothing will ever go wrong for me. And it's just not true. It's not what he says here. What Jesus is saying is that God the gardener who loves you will accomplish great things in you will accomplish great change in you and much of that will come by way of things in your life that you would never choose for yourself here's the image to tend to a vineyard you got the branches that were bearing fruit and you would cut them back often you would cut them back to just the stalk and so the leaves would be removed, and the fruit would be removed, and everything beautiful would be taken away. Now that, in, 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 in that being taken away, what came after that was even more fruit than what would have come had the branch never been cut back. That is the extent of what I know about tending to a vineyard. I had to Google the word stock because I had no idea what that meant, but I could, I could spend so much time talking about what this looks like in the life of a Christian. Listen, you and I, so many of us, we have had this conversation face to face that when you tell your story, is it not the case that when you think about growth and when you think about change and when you think about when things just really sunk in for the first time, you go back to that season when you were cut back you went through something, and you're like, man, I'm just a stock. Everything beautiful has been taken away, and I am confused, and maybe it was disappointment. Maybe it was the loss of a loved one, or maybe it was someone sinned against you. You gave them pieces of your heart, and they broke the pieces that they had, or maybe it was your own sin. You made a mess of your life and the life of everyone around you, and yet, when you tell your story, if you're on the other side of that, or even if you're right in the middle of it, when you talk about fruit. When you talk about how you know what you know, when you talk about who you are, where do you so often point to? It was then, it was when, it was when I felt like everything beautiful was taken away. It was when I was cut back and out of that, God taught me to look like his son. Out of that, there was the ministry that I have to people, the conversations, the love, the patience, and what we'd say if we could just pay attention is that the fruit coming out of my life now because I went through the cutting back is greater than what would have come out had I never been through what I went through, right? In 2012, Carrie and I went to marriage counseling and things were not great. We were, uh, most of that was my sin. Most of that was my stuff. Some of it was, was hers. And all of it was we had settled into just these sinful ways of interacting with one another, these sinful patterns of idolatry and, and, and codependency. And so we went to counseling and it was a low point. It was a low point. And, and we were cut back. And, and that counseling began, uh, you know, so much of a turn in our journey together. And I'll tell you, it got worse before it started making a turn. Two weeks ago, we went on vacation. And so it's seven and a half years after counseling. And we were sitting there at dinner and we're sitting on the beach right on the ocean and the sun is, is setting beneath the waves. It was beautiful, it looked just like Texas. And <laughs> We're talking about us. And at one point in the conversation, Carrie goes back to 2012 and she goes back to that first counseling session and she says, do you remember when he told us that God could use this to make our marriage not what it was, but better than what it could have been had we never been in that place? She says, do you remember that? I say, yeah, I do now. And she says, that is exactly what God did. It's exactly what God did. And what I don't want you to hear in that is I don't want you to hear that what I'm saying is that our marriage getting better was the win. What I'm saying is through the difficulty, we were both shaped, we were both cut back, we were both pruned and the end result of that was that we look more like Jesus and that's the win. And a healthier marriage that's getting healthier, is just a byproduct of that. Look, friends, there is a kind of fruit that only comes out of your life after you've been cut back. And I want to tell you what I have observed around here. So this is kind of a family conversation now. What I have observed around here since we began five years ago, and then what I have continued to see, especially in the last six months, is that we have so many of those stories here. We have so many of those stories, and and I'm sure every church does to some degree, but I really do believe that in a unique way, God has brought people here to our church from the very beginning, and then even now as we're in this transition, he's brought people here who are in the middle of being cut back, or they're about to be, and God brought them here to prepare them for that, or they have been, and God brought them here to serve out of that pain. And look, um, let me put it this way. We have been gone the past few weeks, but uh, last, uh, two weeks ago, we had a membership class. And uh, as I was sitting there in that membership class, the way that we do membership class now is we have a teaching time, but most of the time is just sitting around hearing each other's testimonies and sitting around hearing each other's stories. And so I sat in uh, my office with a, a, a room full of people and we shared stories. And then after that, everyone went home and I sat with Adam and Hunter and we just talked about the day. And I said, hey man, here's, here's what I heard here, here's, what, here's who God is bringing here. And they're like, man, that's what I heard. We didn't get into specifics, but just in general, so much of what God is doing is over and again, he's bringing people here who are just in the middle of it and some who are in the middle of it and they're specifically coming here to heal in it. And listen, I drove, after hearing that and knowing so much of what our history has been, I drove home thinking, God, you're, you're up to something. You're up to something. And the details are different and some of that cutting back is lost and some of it's just circumstances and some of it is self-inflicted. But there's so many of us here that that applies to. And so let me speak to that. What that means is that right now, if that's you and you just feel stripped away, you feel like everything beautiful has been taken away, you've been cut back to just the stock and that looks different in everyone's life. But if you're here, have you considered... That God is not forsaking you, he's refining you. Have you considered that you're in that place? That cutting back is not him punishing you, but that cutting back is him trusting you with the future fruit that the cutting back will produce that you wouldn't have gotten any other way. Look, you were a branch that he wanted to shape you were a branch that was fruitful and he was attracted to that fruit and he said there could be so much more and this is what it's going to take. And you're like, well, I really wish he would have figured out a different way to do it. I get it. And, and me too. But we don't know everything that he knows. We don't. And listen, I need you to know this, that not every believer not all pain turns into fruit in the life of a believer. If you are in the middle of that right now and you believe that God is cutting you off, not cutting you back, beloved, whatever your circumstance, if that's what you believe, that pain is going to consume you. It's not going to change you. And when pain doesn't change you but consumes you, it always comes out of your life as pain towards others. And so part of you being here and where I just feel called by God to steward these stories is to tell you that we are going to encourage you towards obedience and then contend for you with patience and gentleness. We are going to contend for you to consider that the beauty that's been taken away is going to give way to beauty that's more beautiful than it was before you went through what you went through. And it's going to be more beautiful only because you are where you are. And then what that means for us as a church, citizens' church, is that we will fight to continue to be a place that is safe for those who are in the middle of being cut back, right? Safe for those patient and loving and, and acknowledging what we don't yet understand. And in that, we're saying your mess is now our mess. We're gonna enter into each other's problems to where your problems are now our problems and you're not alone in it. And if we can get there, the story that God has been writing is the story that God will continue to write. We will together as a people have the testimony of Psalm 30. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that I may sing your praise and not be silent. O oh, Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Morning to dancing, that story's all over the room. It's being written right now, clothed in sorrow to clothed in gladness. It's being written right now, and it's unto us coming out of that and saying, in the fruit that God has produced in me even if it came through pain, I will give thanks, I will sing praise. Bearing fruit in our lives is when who we are to God comes out in our life, in our practice because we are with Jesus. And friends, who we are to him is one who is loved by him, who he is pleased with, and he is committed to making us look more like Jesus. And everything that comes into our life is sovereignly orchestrated by him unto that end. The next verse, Jesus says, abide in me. That's where we'll pick it up next week. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for your kindness and your mercy. I thank you that you have been tender to us, and I thank you, God. I'll just say it again. I feel so often, God, in standing on a passage like that and communicating it to people whom you love. I, I feel the... Uh, emptiness of my own personal experiences of those things, knowing that there are those in the room that understand it and are in it in ways that I have just never come close. And yet, where there is a lack of experiential knowledge from me to them, God, you know personally, you are one acquainted with sorrow. That Action of you cutting back to bring forth even more beauty. That's what the cross is all about. God, that's what the cross is all about that you cut back your own son. You uh, allowed that temporary interruption between your uh, eternal relationship so that we might be welcomed in by you, Lord God. We love you and we thank you. And I pray that it's out of that truth that we would be able to steward well where you have us, encourage one another well and live for you in a way that pleases you. We love you, amen.